ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Simultaneous writers and actors strikes have left Hollywood at a standstill, and that could reshape the entertainment industry. The CEO industry. of Netflix says the streaming giant is, quote, super committed to reaching an agreement that would end... From a red carpet in London, strike. on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria, to studios in LA, actors are walking off the job. This is the Conversation Hour. We know that a number of shows have already announced that their productions have halted, some movies have announced those, and these are pretty big names, Everything from, you know, the Game of Thrones spinoff to the Wizard of Oz movie. Uh, none of that action is going to be happening. There is now a completely different set of rules that goes into how we decide to be entertained and how we decide to pay for what that entertainment is. You got to protect the people who are kind of on the margins. And 26000 bucks a year is what you have to make to get your health insurance. And, and there are a lot of people who... Residual payments are what carry them across that threshold. See uh, how much pressure viewers really end up putting on uh, either side to come to a resolution. So going to the cinema at the moment with two Hollywood blockbusters kind of feels like the old days, doesn't it? With big queues, sold-out cinemas and people dressed up and a buzz and an excitement that only the anticipation of a hyped-up film premiere can bring. But in the background of the movie-making world in Hollywood, there's a different story being told. And it's a true story of how hard it is to survive as a working writer or actor. Now, it's not the first time that writers and actors have gone on strike, but somehow this time it feels different. It feels dire and somehow like we are all to blame and need to take notice of not only what's happening in LA, but what's happening here at home, locally. When we sign up to a streaming service, do we know how that company's business model or profit margins affect actors and writers? Do you know the role of AI? And that maybe that last series you're binging at the moment may not have even been written by a human. The bottom line is, do we value, even pay attention and recognise artists and their contribution to our lives and all of the things that we love? We might pay 20 bucks a month to watch whatever we want, whenever we want, but what about the trained and skilled actor who's now moving furniture for a living because they didn't get paid properly in their previous role? Or what about the writer who's still driving an Uber to pay rent? What about all local artists, writers, actors, musicians, sculptors. Is it even possible to be a working artist in Victoria? Can you make enough money to survive and just create art? Or do you need to have another job to somehow create art on the side? Artists are always being told you have to have something to fall back on, another career, because we know it's rare to survive and make a living as an artist. So why? Should we find a way to make sure that artists can create because we all benefit? We hang our hat on being a creative state here in Victoria, but do we support artists? So today on the Conversation Hour, are you an artist and can you survive on your art alone? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. 
Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt and a special co-host for you today, the acclaimed and award-winning author, Sophie Laguna. Sophie, a warm welcome. Thank now, you. Not only are you a very well-known writer now, you originally was were an actor as well. You studied as a lawyer. You, I did. you walked away and you trained as an actor. So I you've did. sort of got feet in both sides of what's happening in LA at the moment. Are we aware enough here in Victoria of what's happening overseas? I'm hearing more and more in the media. I mean, I'm certainly aware. Um, it's been it's been disconcerting. It's been really unsettling, hasn't it, mm. to see what's going on in America in a new way. I feel like we're at a precipice, and I'm sure those on strike feel the same way, that there's been so much change because of technology that... It's it's either now or never. And are we all somehow connected to this? Because often you can look at what's happening in LA, think, okay, the writer's strike, actor's strike, but doesn't really affect us. But in actual fact, we're all a part of this and somehow we're all to blame. Well, it absolutely does. And we've got the same um, issues in, in, this, in our pay structure here for actors and for writers and the way residuals are paid or not paid and the way streaming has changed all that. Um, I mean, I write novels and books, which puts me in a different camp. There's a lot more money at stake, I suppose, in television and film. So there are issues that mm. I am able to see from a distance, I suppose. Before we cross to LA, Fran Drescher has been up front and centre. People, of course, would know her as the nanny, but has given some really heartfelt and gut-wrenching speeches about this actors and writers strike. Here's a little bit of Fran Drescher. It is disgusting. Shame mm. on them. They stand on the wrong side of history. At this very moment, the entire business model has been changed by streaming, digital, AI. This is a moment of history that is a moment of truth. If we don't stand tall right now, we are all going to be in trouble. It's crazy. So the jig is up, AMPTP. We stand tall. You have to wake up and smell the coffee. And we demand respect. And to be honoured for our contribution, you share the wealth because you cannot exist without us. It's Fran Drescher there speaking from the heart and you can hear the passion there in regards to the writers and actors strike. Sophie Laguna is your co-host this morning on the Conversation Hour. Sophie, let's go to LA now where an Australian writer is based. Lauren O'Garton is an Aussie writer, as we said, based in LA. And of course, like so many writers, Lauren, you're caught up in the writers strike at the moment. Do you feel like you're the message is getting through? Um, that's a tricky one, you know. I, I'd i have to say I think that it is. Um, I mm. think it is getting through and it feels like the world's starting to understand and I think in large part that feels like because of Fran Drescher joining the fight um, and, you know, actors are like, I think, people who are more well-known across the world giving voice to the struggle, which is the exact same struggle, is really helping amplify things, I think. So do you still feel, Lauren, uh, united with your your fellow strikers? Do you mm. still feel that sense of unity between you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you feel it on the line. You feel wow. it every day. You're, it's I, it's mm. such a necessary strike. And at no point in time 
has mm. have myself or any single writer or actor I know mm. like you know thought that it was a bad idea or been against the strike mm. or been in stepping out in any way I think there's an incredible amount of mm. unity and not only that but you know the first weeks on the line our biggest allies were also the Teamsters which is um, the union that covers drivers and, and people who do transpo um, where like they are just such a strong union themselves like they would not cross the picket line if wow. there were two people marching they were honking mm. their horns like mm. every single time they drove past and it mm. made us sort of realize this isn't just a tiny industry strike this is a mm. worldwide like global mm. issue that we're all facing that most workers are facing today mm. so i think the sense of unity has definitely not left. If anything, it's just continuing to go from strength to strength. But that doesn't mean it's not, you know, difficult. Mm. <laughs> What's your biggest fear? I mean, there's already texts coming in saying the risk actors and writers have with AI is mm. large, but the strike will have an effect of forcing content creators to use AI to replace them. There is a real risk that the strike is going to accelerate the take-up of AI. Is it AI? Is it just generally how writers... Uh, are being paid and treated. There's the streaming services mm. as well, Lauren, and how now I think I was reading that they've sort of figured out that the perfect number of episodes that need to be made, which is less than what used to be made, in order to make a profit. So there's less and less writing that's needed to be done and less in-house writers. It feels like the fight is coming at it from all different angles. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, this is the... Third, uh, I could be wrong here, but I'm pretty sure this is a third WGA strike that it's about residuals. So every time, I mean, it's about more than residuals, but just to mm. cover that first, every time there's a change in technology. So when DVDs came out, um, you know, when videotapes came out before that, we weren't paid residuals. So we weren't paid a piece of the pie that was becoming a new profit for the AMPTP. And those fights were, again, about being paid fairly for the work that we were doing that was continuing to make them money. So that part of it, the residuals part um, and, the, and the proper pay scale um, hasn't shifted. I think that's like a long fight that just continues every time there's a change in technology or a lag in, in the correct payment. Um, and so that's one fight that I, I think is a fight we've been continually doing. The AI fight is definitely new and it's, you know, obviously a, a, like, you know, fairly new technology. I think that's sort of a fight that's going to be everyone's fight at some point. Mm. Um, and it's hard to say. I mean, there's already, like, already people are being, um, like, extras are being, what they want to do is scan them for a day and then own that image in perpetuity and be able to use that in any single program that they have going forward, which once there's the technology is a very sort of, I mean, Black Mirror episode. It's <laughs> you've insidious. Seen that show. It really um, is. Yeah. yeah, where you really own someone's image. Mm. And... Like, that is insane to me that you could, like, use a piece of someone's intellectual property self and then claim to own that in perpetuity. But I think that has enormous and damaging consequences, and I think the same thing for writing. But I think also something to consider is that in order for AI to learn, it's feeding off what already exists. So it's feeding off scripts that are already written. It's feeding off films that have already been made. So the people who've already made those things being paid for their work that's actually teaching the AI in the first place? And the answer is absolutely not. Mm. So I think it's just such an enormous um, 
technology that really needs to be legislated. Like, I think it needs government legislation around it. I think this is the very tip of a very enormous Mm. fight that's about to be happened in an industry that's going to, you know, shape the world in huge ways. But it still seems to me... Sorry, Lauren, I was yeah. just, it occurs to me that it's the dumbing down, really, of the future of the of, of, of what we want to watch and hear and listen to and read. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, yeah. AI, yeah. that AI could possibly, could possibly provide that. Mm. Even young people or yeah. people starting out or changing careers wanting to go and study the art of film writing, script writing, series writing, like, mm. it will start to deteriorate. It's such a contradiction, it, you know. The art of creation is about is about the business of being human. We're not machines. We're not yeah. androids that can simply plug in and watch something that's been generated by a, a computer. It doesn't and it doesn't make any sense at all. It's contradictory. Lauren, does this make you question? I mean, you're in LA. You've you've left as a you know as a Melbourne woman. You've you've done everything from producing to writing to acting. Does this make you question what you're doing there? Because we also know that it's, you very quickly and easily lose your health insurance depending on what you earn in the United States. Yeah, I mean, um, just to clarify, yeah, I grew up in Sydney. But, I mean, I think for me um, at the time growing up there, you know, like I was an actor in, in a film when I was 14 opposite the man who at the time had won the AFI Award for Best Actor and he was struggling to survive. And at that age, yeah. I understood, you know, there's not a future in Australia for me. And if I want to do this, I have to go to somewhere that pays artists, at least in some, you know, places to live a life as a, you know, functional artist. Um, and so I think for me, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely questioning all of that stuff for sure. Like, what am I going to do next? You know, do I have to have some kind of other career to support myself alongside this one? That's definitely something I think about. But at the same time, I mean... It's really like, I think what's been really interesting for me about this strike is that I spent so long feeling like I was the problem. That the fact that it was so such a struggle and so difficult over here was because I just wasn't working hard enough or doing the right thing or something was wrong with my approach. And like, I've come to realize through meeting people on the line and talking to everybody that it's actually like, it's an industry-wide problem that needs to be fixed and the mm. fix is coming now. So I think in one way, it strengthened my resolve, but in another way, yeah, of course, like I'm already looking at, you know, what else can I do? How long will it last, in do you think, capacity. Lauren? How long do you think the strike I, will last? Yeah. I honestly, that is so hard to answer. And I think a reason why I can't like answer it is because, it's so unclear to me how tech companies are making their money. Like Netflix is like selling all of our data as well as the content. So is it continuing to make money from the data that it's selling and can it hold off longer before, you know, its investors are really, you know, like not not buying its viability anymore? Like I don't actually know how long they can hold out. Um, and going back to work really is up to them. Like we can't continue in this career as things are. So... You hear rumours all the time, but there's no real answer. So I am kind of curious, you know, especially because this is affecting everyone in LA. You know, it's not just the writers and actors, but it's the entire, like, the biggest, one of the biggest industries, you know, that this this, um, city is made of. And so I think probably at some point in time, if the AMPTP won't come to the table, the government will intervene. Uh, well, I'm just, do, what do the AMPTP, what words are they finding for their position? Mm. What do they say? Um, so as they fly in on their million-dollar jets to a million-dollar <laughs> retreat <laughs> where people are getting, you know, I mean, they're literally getting bonuses of $27 million on top of their hundreds of million dollars of 
salary. Um, they're saying that we're unreasonable for wanting to be able oh. to afford health insurance, for wanting to be able to afford to pay our mortgages or our rent. There's texts here no that say exactly that. So it's, yeah, they're saying, yeah. you know, how can you there's please no make argument. make sense of the mega bucks that some of these stars earn versus the poverty of the creatives? How can they sleep at night without putting their money where their mouth is? Lauren, we wish you all the best. Keep up that fight and we Thank hope that you you're back much. writing again soon. Thank you so much. Good luck, Lauren. Lauren Algarton, an Australian writer based in Los Angeles. No end in sight. I mean, Sophie Laguna, I mean, we were just sitting there shaking our heads. And yes, it's happening overseas, but these, we are all affected and we are some somehow implicated in all of this when we choose a streaming service when we understand is this written by a human by ai does ai frighten you as a writer it, it does but as i was saying before i i just don't it seems to me to uh, undervalue or or at least fail to understand what is the contribution of the artist and as i said it is <laughs> I'm going to sound so that really important work comes from a place I don't think that ever can ever be manufactured by artificial intelligence. It's the work of the soul. It's the work of the unconscious. It's profound. It's and 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 the idea is that we're always changing and growing. So how can we, uh, you know, provide? Um, you know, what do you, when you're making AI? Yeah. How can Where does we, that soul come from? Yeah. It's, yeah. Terry's called from Melbourne. Terry, you're an artist and you've been listening to this conversation. Do you survive on your art? I, in, in a long-term career uh, like mine, which is over 40 years, I would say it is impossible to survive wholly on your art, particularly in the early days of your career. You need a patron mm. or a part-time job or a teaching job or something if you want to be true to yourself and be entirely creative. And I don't believe that AI will take the place of pure creativity. I mean, there's always that saying, isn't there, scratch the surface of any waiter and you'll find mm -hmm. an artist. But then if you're doing another job, where do you find that time, Terry, to yes, be creative? You will, you, you will because creative, if you're a true artist, it's part of who you are. The problem is find the time. that that passion and that dedication is what's so easy to exploit because artists will compromise their incomes and their ways of life mm. simply to be able to practice. That's why we can always be exploited because we won't stop. Marie Coote, oh, Cootie has called through. Good morning, Marie. I know many of your books have been sitting around on our desk and I know exactly the art that you create. Thank you so much for calling through. What's, what are your concerns about what's happening overseas and locally? Oh, look, it's awful. It's just awful. I totally stand with the unions on, on their efforts over there. But I fear, you know, that it's, God, I hate to say it, but too late. You know, I read that article in the weekend, Jan Breen, Burns wrote about fashion created with AI and, um, you know, I've worked in, in creative arts for many, many years, but those works were created, Not that photographer didn't hire a model, he didn't hire a location or a wardrobe artist or a makeup and hair person or a location finder or anything. Mm. It was all conjured and... 
The results are gorgeous. I, I wonder what we will be looking at. Just beautiful pictures, eye candy forever that doesn't have any meaning. And it's also the knowing, you know, it's there's one thing for art to be created by AI, but how upfront uh, and how much information do we are we given around that? I think that's one of the major concerns as well. Marie, thank you so much for calling through. This text is from Kate. It says, given how the government treated artists during the lockdowns, I'd say no, our society doesn't support artists. So are you an artist and can you survive on your art alone? In Victoria, even though we hang our hat on being an artistic, creative state, do we give the arts the support it deserves? In order for AI to learn, it's feeding off what already exists. So it's feeding off scripts that are already written. It's feeding off films that have already been made. So are the people who've already made those things being paid for their work that's actually teaching the AI in the first place? And the answer is absolutely not. This is the Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunt and acclaimed and award-winning author Sophie Laguna is your co-host this morning. It's such a treat to have you join us and to get your insights on this, Sophie. From what I can gather at the moment from the texts that are coming through, it is certainly AI that is concerning a lot of people. But then this says a young relative in the US is attending their first year of college doing a screenwriting degree, is now an intern at a movie studio. She thinks it's amazing and is a proud unionist family in Australia. I don't think so. That's from Anna in Geelong. And this saying, I think people who write off AI are thinking AI or nothing. There's a place for AI in assisting writers and I think we should be happy to talk about this. That's from Sean. Do you think there's a place that's for interesting. both? Oh gosh, that's interesting. Mm. I mean, I, there's, not, there's a great deal I don't know about AI but AI um, we generate AI, don't we? We feed it information. We're, we teach computers. So uh, I'm, I'm going to use all the wrong words here. I'm trying to say that um, it's limited. It's yeah. limited because we're always moving forward. The idea about important original art is that it hasn't been done before. So how can it come from artificial intelligence? We, tra- you know, Great art transcends transcends all of that it's the language of dreams it's so much more profound when we talk about trying to be a working artist whether you are an actor a painter a sculptor a writer we praise them love them hang our hat on them in this state yet at the same time we kind of expect you to have another job or something to fall back on it's because of our failure again i know i'm repeating myself it's a lack of imagination it doesn't understand the artistic process our culture and uh, our, our culture and the australian way of thinking on the whole uh, lacks the imagination <laughs> i'm going to sound are there countries I don't that sound, do it well though like are there, there are countries country? that do it better that have different histories and different traditions and different appreciation of literature i'm talking about anyway do we appreciate artists here enough do you think we don't i don't think we do but here's the thing because because it's so at the top of my list of priorities yeah. i'll do it anyway as 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 all of your callers who are artists are in the same boat Associate Professor Joe Kaust is a Principal Fellow with the School of Culture and Communication at the University of Melbourne. And Joe, as someone, you know, in the 
sort of late 80s, early 90s, trying to be a working actor myself, surrounded by people wanting to be a writer, a performer of some degree. We all had other jobs, but we all used whatever money we had to get better at what we do, you know, to pay for courses or we'd stay up late and not sleep in order to work and be able to create. But there was never a way to actually get paid for the art that you make doesn't seem like a lot has changed yet you have the idea that artists should receive a working wage how how would that work well um good morning uh, michelle and sophie um i think that um what has happening elsewhere is that the uh, governments are um experimenting with different schemes to look at how artists can be given um some form of income that isn't dependent on um, any other... uh, It's an ongoing income that they get that is unconditional. So um, in the case of Ireland, for instance, they've given 2,000 arts workers an unconditional income of what is £325 Irish pounds or equivalent to 682 Australian dollars uh, per week for three years. So um, that's a significant commitment to 2,000 workers. But in Australia, what has happened over the last uh, decade or more is we've seen a 50% drop in funding to individual artists. So it's frightening. Um, it is. Yeah. And the idea of applying for a, a grant, it feels like, look, I'm sort of out of the circle a little bit now, but there used to be lots of different grants you could apply for as an artist and you would get through from one grant to another. But mm-hmm. I've watched my one of my closest girlfriends, who's an incredible photojournalist, get by from one tiny grant to the next to the next. And there's times there is mm-hmm. zero money in her bank account and she's been doing this forever and is an award-winning, incredible photographer. And those grants, she'll say, there's just less and less of them. So even if it's a working wage or grants that you can apply for, Joe, there just doesn't seem to be that pool of money dedicated to the arts. Absolutely. Uh, well, there was a dramatic decrease in funding over... Um, the, the previous decade and um th- that has that's really frightening affected, too yeah mm. it has really affected artists at all levels um but um in the latest survey of authors done last year the average income of writers uh, is around eighteen thousand dollars a year from their work um so oh God. um that uh <laughs> has not actually changed all that much over the last 30 years. Um, so you're, you're getting a situation where artists ha- uh, the cost of living and everything has increased dramatically, but the actual um, income for artists for their work has not. Um, and we have around uh, 48,000 artists in Australia. Um, and that again, that figure hasn't changed. Seems like a small either. number, doesn't oh, well, it? Well, how do you yes. even know? Yeah. <laughs> but I wonder if it's because people don't register as artists because they're actually working as teachers and as librarians and, and waiters. But as you said in your article, Joe, it's a drop in the you know supporting uh, artists in the way that you've suggested is a drop in the ocean for the government. Well, it would be. I think if you if you provided five hundred dollars a week to ten thousand artists for um, over a year, you're talking at you know it would cost you about twenty two hundred and sixty million, I think, 
but um, that is uh, not a huge amount if you think about how much a tank costs or mm-hmm. um, you know a, a military hardware costs and um, we just don't value artists in the way that um, we value other areas and other professions I think I think people don't see the work of artists and art workers as real work and I that was that highlighted agree, during yeah. the pandemic and lots of people are, are saying that on text as well in terms of the the professions that were given support and were given lifelines and the arts were certainly well and truly down the bottom there well the difficulty is that creating art is so absolutely thrilling it's the dream isn't it it's the keys yes. to the kingdom and again that's Absolutely. exploited that doesn't mean it needn't be paid but that's how um, that's how our culture gets away with not not rewarding it or not paying for it what are the long-term ramifications for all of us show that aren't artists so if we don't pay artists properly then less and less people decide to take that risk and become artists the quality drops i think the quality drops but mm. does it i mean as a society we all are impacted by that what are, what do we all stand to lose well indeed i think what we forget is that our artists are our sort of cultural wealth and if we don't value and respect them and respect their work, then we're actually um, causing um, damage to ourselves because it, it, it is really so important that our nation looks after our artists because they're so important to us. So do you, it's, yeah, do you it's, ever um, expect it to happen, Joe? Like, I mean, That's the challenge. Well, I just, <laughs> Something I, would I have, to have to change. Yeah, it's a, a cultural mindset that it has is. to move. Yeah. And while we value, value our sports people and our scientists to some extent mm. and, and provide them with a living wage now. More than a um, living wage for our sportsmen in, yeah, and women. Exactly. But we don't with our artists. And, I mean, Paul Keating was shocked by this in the late 80s and provided a whole series of creative fellowships for senior artists. And that was fantastic. But it didn't go trickle down to everybody else. And I think that we really need to seriously think, how can we be more generous to our artists? How can we make sure that they don't um, starve and they don't live in um, really wretched conditions? Um, we, we just have to really change our mindset. Yeah, I mean, $18,000 a year and that whole concept of a starving artist, I mean, it's it's true, isn't there it? There are many writers who would say they were doing very well to make $18,000 yeah. from <laughs> their writing in a year. I hate to say that, but it's oh. true. Joe, thank you so much for, for your insights and for your passion. It's really important to be able to throw these ideas around and hopefully one day, you know, some of them will stick and will follow the lead of places like Ireland. Associate Professor Joe Kaust there. Let's have a chat to Jane. She's called from Hampton. Good morning, Jane. Oh, good morning. Um, Look, I'm just saying my son, Sam, um, who won an award for a short film in 2016, um, has never been acknowledged. Um, uh, It went to um, Sundance Film Festival, representing Australia. Um, It won uh, Melbourne International Film Festival and Sydney Film Festival. Now he's he's been a garbage collector, mm. he's been a postman, and all these things. Um, he's now writing, but I think you know it's very sad that Australia doesn't acknowledge the talent here in Melbourne for a start. And um, honestly, it, it, it's a sad uh, reflection on our society. It's interesting though. There's a text here saying yes, but how much tax are you willing to pay? 
the uh, the government is us. It's our money. There are also those who did a PhD in mm. science who have no jobs. You're mm. not alone. So lots of people saying, well, why not? Why just the arts? There's other industries as well. What do you say to that, Sophie? Well, I mean, of course there are other industries and there needs to be better funding in all sorts of different parts of the way we're running our country. But I can only speak for the one in which I'm engaged in and it's historically been like this in this country. Anne's in Melbourne. Good morning, Anne. Oh, good morning. What did you want to say? Um, I'm a drama teacher, drama therapist, and I um, work with kids, mainly adolescents, And I'm just really curious to know how AI could replace what I do with my kids. So I um, interview my students for about two terms and gather their stories. And with their stories, my brother and I write a play, which they perform. And the play is very personal and it's very much about what they're going through. And the connection that I have with my students, I just don't know how... AI would replace that. That's because it can't. AI will exactly. never replace that, and you know that. Yeah. And you're yeah. cross that that, that that it should even be, that we should be addressing it at all. Absolutely. As a drama therapist, what, do, what does your role involve, Anne? How does that work? Well, it's really interesting. I sort of fell into that because what was coming up in my drama classes were my kids' issues, and I wanted to be able to hold the space and keep them safe. And drama is a beautiful way to allow kids to work through issues because it's role play. Um, So they can tell a story and they don't even necessarily have to act it out themselves. Someone else can. And just witnessing that is so therapeutic and healing. Good to hear from you, Anne, as well. Your co-host this morning, the acclaimed and award-winning author Sophie Laguna. This is what Tom Hanks had to say about the writer's strike and about what our role is. There is now a completely different Um, set of rules that goes into how we decide to be entertained and how we decide to pay for what that entertainment is. Yeah, lots of texts are coming back there. Big actors like Tom Hanks. Well, maybe they should cough up and pay for a bit of this as well because there's just such a divide between the stars and the megabucks of those. I mean, some of the numbers earlier when Lauren, who was in LA, was rolling off about $27 million bonus. I know. Not to Tom Hanks, but to some of the so, directors. Yeah, it makes me so curious. If we had a you know, CEO right here on this microphone <laughs> next to me, what would they say in their defence or how would they explain their positions? How would they justify it? And how artists manage to get by and to be able to create work? Well, there are some incredible initiatives that are happening locally. We've sort of spoken about a lot of the negatives, but there are some incredible positives. And one of those is happening in regional Victoria in Terang. Rosemary Knight in her partner in crime, Les Cameron, they house artists at the Terang pub for free. And it's the convener of the Terang Theatre Group Artists Enterprise. And how they have not only changed the lives of those artists, they have changed the entire vibe of that town. Rosemary, first things first, congratulations to yourself and to Les on what is an incredible initiative where artists can live for free as long as they're creating. And you've housed everything from writers, podcasters, painters, you name it. Why is this important, do you think? Thanks for the question, Rochelle, and giving me the opportunity to talk to you. It's important for all the reasons you've already been discussing. Artists can create valuable work that cannot be created any other way because it comes from 
within their mind and a cerebral thing and we want to support it and uh, help people in our local community be a part of it and get to experience how culturally significant and exciting um, artistic works can be by bringing the artists to our local community. Everyone's going to be coming in hordes now. <laughs> <laughs> Knocking on the door yeah, to Tarang for somewhere to yeah. stay. What have you witnessed, Rosemary? Sorry? What have you witnessed there from being giving artists, taking away that financial burden to a certain degree? What have you witnessed? Uh, we ask artists to come with a project in mind and many of them have come where they've worked on something for a long time but they just need that extra space uh, to creatively finish their pieces. Uh, we have been fortunate enough to have uh, theatre ensemble groups, uh, Archibald Prize-winning artists. Mm -hmm. We've had uh, painters, theatre people, musical people and everybody who's come has also given back to our local community in the form of seminars, sessions, exhibitions. Mm -hmm. And in the case of Terence at the moment, we're having an entire play uh, put on locally and in Apollo Bay ten times because he's able to help us all and challenge us and put us to the next level mm -hmm. with um, one of his most famous scripts. Fantastic. Well, I think you've got Terence there with you. Terence O'Connell is a Melbourne-based theatre director. He's a writer and lyricist as well. He's staying at the Tarang Pub. Terence, a warm welcome to the Conversation Hour. As, Thanks, Rachelle. As a working artist, to have the support of Rosemary and of Les at the Tarang Pub, I mean, that's kind of life-changing for a lot of people, isn't it? Um, yeah, um, just quickly i came this is the second time i've been here the first time i came to tarang and to the pub i was writing uh, a musical of uh the memoir i can jump puddles and wonderful this, this area is alan marshall country and i read about the pub in the age and emailed les <laughs> to say hey what about me coming and staying for a while? And I did, and I wrote the second act of the show here in the pub and in the town, and that show is moving towards production now, and that happened because I was here, really. And uh, secondly, I've come back to work with two theatre troops here to direct my show, Minefields and Miniskirts. So I work three times a week in Tarang and then I travel to Apollo Bay to do the same show with another troupe of actors. How long will you be there, Terence? Well, when I the shows start to be performed uh, this week, actually. Mm -hmm. So I will have been here four months when I leave. Wow. I mean, and just the... To be able to surround yourself with other artists, to be able to just consume your art and not to worry about, okay, I've got to go now because I've got to go work my other job incredible. or whatever it may mm. be. I just think it's incredible. Well, we wish you all the best, Terence, and to Rosemary as well. Can you give a, you know, a huge congratulations and high five to Les for us again as well, who we know we've spoken on and off on this program over the years. So congratulations. 
Congratulations, Rosemary. That's Rosemary Knight there. Her partner in crime, of course, Les Cameron, the Tarang Pub. And we're also having a chat with Terence O'Donnell. Fiona Boys has called through. You never know who's listening on this program. Good morning, Fiona. <laughs> Hello, how are you? Really well. What did you want to contribute? Well, I'm, in, I'm enjoying the program. I'm somewhere near Terildry having, um, I'm a blues musician. And I've just uh, spent the weekend playing in Echuca for the Echuca Winter Blues Festival. And, um, and I'm, I'm driving home now. But I just wanted to contribute the idea that, you know, as a long-time musician who's playing original music, I've managed to financially levitate for some two and a half decades doing this. And it's tough. And people often wonder, you know, what your real job is and people aren't very respectful necessarily of musicians and, and, and artists and their struggle to, to get by. But whenever there's a crisis, I think musicians are great citizens because almost invariably the first people to respond um, are often musicians that say, let's put on a concert, how can we raise funds, how can we um, help out, you know, whether it's floods or bushfires, whatever, it's often local musicians that come to the fore to try and create an event to raise money to help their community. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to make yeah. that point. But I think it's so true. Whenever there ha- there is a, a disaster of any mm. kind, and there is some kind of relief or benefit put mm. on that artists are mm. called on, and very rarely, I don't think I've known one that says, "Oh no," mm. they always say yes. There's so many different messages, Sophie Laguna, mm. that are coming through on here that yeah. I can't keep up with them. But here's just one. It says, "My daughter won top arts for her stop animation short film in VCE. She then went on to graduate from the VCA with a." Bachelor of Fine Arts Animation. But she's now an apprentice carpenter, which is amazing because it shows her mm. character and her strength as a person. She became a chippy because she did not want to sit behind a computer in an office indefinitely for producing something that she would struggle to get paid for adequately. There is no career pathway for an, uh, for animators other than more and more gratis to work for your perfect craft, almost like every artistic profession. The problem we face in the industry is across the board. The fact cat corporates mm. profiting on someone else's intellect and ability. That being said, and I don't know what the, the pay is like, but I do know we produce an obscene amount of animation and digital uh, work here and video game art. I think other than LA, Melbourne here is one of the mm. some of the biggest studios that we have for studio animation. We haven't spoken a lot of theatre, so let's have a chat to Sophie Lampel, who is the co-founder of the Essential Theatre Company. And Sophie, you're just celebrating 20 years of your theatre company that you've founded. What made you go out first things first and, and start your own theatre company? Oh, that's a very good question. Uh, look, we went to drama school at a time when we were really encouraged to, you know, work in every field, not just the acting field, so sort of learn a bit of everything. And I suppose coming out of drama school, the reality was the phone wasn't going to ring unless you were prepared to create your own work. So um, it became very clear to us that, you know, having our own independent theatre company was going to be something that was going to fill our cup because we wanted to be working. Um, and then 20 years later, here we are. <laughs> 20 years is an incredible achievement, Sophie. It's extraordinary. I think um, Amanda and myself, my business partner Amanda, um, we 
we came up with a way, I guess, to create... It was a little bit of a business idea that, that we came up with, which is touring Shakespeare productions to wineries across Australia. Great. So that was that was a way for us to then, I guess, we created our own little, um, uh, you know, wage for the year, so to speak. But it's really... I, I was listening to you guys on the radio yeah. before, you, before I'm on now, and, I, I, you know, it's really made me reflect about, you know, how hard it's been really, mm. realistically. And as independent theatre makers, we did it on our own. We've never had any funding, particularly for that aspect of the job, mm. because it was kind of considered commercial because we were going to wineries and not actual theatre venues in regional and, and other parts of Australia. Um, but we've had other funding opportunities to create different works, which we've done over the years. But to be honest, after 20 years, we're actually having a little bit of a break because we're burnt out. Yeah, I can understand that. I mean, it's interesting. We take as given, don't we, how hard it is financially, how unpredictable and, you know, there's no kind of security, is there? And we take yeah. that, well, you know, that sort of just comes with the terrain. Wouldn't it be interesting to change the way we think? Why does it have to come with the terrain? Why isn't it so much better? And the fact that you're yeah. almost running a, a small to medium-sized business as well, so if it's not mm. just that you're there and performing and creating and trying to be the best artist that you can, you're running a business and you've got, you're doing the books and all. That yeah, absolutely, and that was yeah, that was a reality that, that we learned early on, which was really interesting because we then had to sort of go, oh, look what we've got here. We need to learn how to run the business. So that's been an incredible on-the-job training for us, and we've taken that on, you know, out into other jobs that we do. But we also do other 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 acting work. But again, it's really tough to make a living as independent theatre makers. I, I know so many theatre companies that are producing work. I don't know how they're doing it. The cost of rehearsal venue if there's any around, is ridiculous. There's only a couple that are reasonably priced. To even use an independent theatre space still costs a fortune. Mm. I think we really need to look at not only... I think the, the idea of having a universal wage for artists makes complete sense, but I know it's a super complicated issue <laughs> yeah. in terms of how you would do that. But also, we need more subsidised independent theatre venues, certainly in Victoria and in Melbourne, where we've got opportunities to, to create work and have more support financially so you're not spending you know all your personal money on putting on a play. And I know that's what most independent theatre companies are doing. Sophie, c can I ask, is the challenge getting people to come and see the productions? Is uh, I think we've got, look, not, not necessarily, but mm -hmm. yes, on some levels, because advertising and publicity is really challenging. And of course, we've got a really big, uh, you know, what do you, what, what's theatre? What does that actually mean? There's so many ways you can put on a play or put on a cabaret or put on whatever you want to put on. So I think audiences are, you know, up and down depending on the time of year. I think I know people don't love going into the theatre necessarily in the dead of winter. But I also think we struggle here with, um, we've got reviewers that often, you know, put out a review that perhaps isn't particularly favourable for a little independent theatre company and yet here they are mm. working themselves to the bone mm. and putting on something and it is good and yet that that can impact you know why an audience member may not choose to to go and see a production so it's a bit hit and miss and it's a bit up and down in regards to audiences and i'm not really sure you know mm. what the answer is there well sophie i hope that this little respite they're having is just a respite <laughs> and too. that you and your team are, are back up and, and making mm. some incredible theater again sophie lampel is the co-founder of the essential theater company before we have a chat with John Mutsess, who's a working painter and sculptor who's based in Gippsland and celebrating 40 years of being a working artist. Let's go to Michael, who I believe, Michael, you're in your 54th year as a living and working sculptor. Congratulations. How did you make that work? Well, I grew up with a sculptor father and, and so I was eased into it from very early childhood. But then I worked with him. I had a Churchill Fellowship which sent me to Italy to study medallic sculpture back in 1969. And when I came mm. back from that, 
Um, previously, I did an architecture degree, and but when I came back from that, I thought that if I can get a Churchill, maybe I can make a living as a sculptor. So that was 1970, and here we are. And so it's all started then, and it's that idea too of getting that fellowship or getting that grant and being able to have the opportunity to work. Michael, it's so wonderful to hear that that's been a success for you. John Mutt says, as we said, he's a painter, a sculptor. He's based in a beautiful part of Gippsland. Spent a lot of your life, John, in Maui, in the Latrobe Valley, and now in Inverloch. You're celebrating 40 years of being a working artist, so congratulations. How do you make it work? Well, I guess that the uh, the thing is that you've got to have income. Uh, everybody does. And uh, I was very lucky that uh, I was married to my wife, Mary, who was a full-time teacher at the time. So taking the risk wasn't as big as some people might imagine. Uh, so, But nevertheless, I've worked many, many jobs. And uh, I've always been lucky that the jobs that I've taken on are always art-related. Uh, and that kept me in touch with my own craft. But I did a lot of teaching in schools, uh, a lot of teaching in my own studio, lots of places like that, and, uh, yeah, that kept the money coming in as well. And I know you mentioned there your your wife, and a big shout-out to your mm. wife, who was actually my drama teacher in oh. high school. Yeah, yeah, Mary Mutt says, who is... But she not only is incredible mm. in supporting a lot of us when we were young in wanting to carry on in a world of arts. John, that's one thing we haven't discussed today is sometimes the partner of artists who make that commitment as well, who may not be artists themselves, but then say, yes, I'll mm. support you financially, emotionally. Yep, that's right. It's an absolute gift. Not the case um, in my life, what? unfortunately. I'm married to another artist, so. <laughs> but still, well, John, it sounds can... like, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm one sitting here wondering if, you know, all of, so many artists have this component of grit and determination to have um, mm. stayed in for so long. Yeah, that's right. But the thing is that <clears throat> having uh, uh, my wife Mary with me on this, it really works well because I, I, even when I'm selling a painting, when people talk to me about buying a painting or a sculpture and they ask me the price, I can't be a mercenary. To the, I, I can't tell them what it's worth. I, uh, I, yeah. I, don't even, I can't even tell mm. them what I expect from it. You, know? you need and that so sort of objective I, opinion from the outside, don't you? Yeah, and, and I always hand them over to Mary. I say, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's lovely to, to speak to you again, John. And as we said, congratulations this year, 40 years of celebrating of being a, a working painter and sculptor. So thanks yeah. for your time. John Mutt says there. Thanks, John. This text from Nicole, who's in Castlemaine, and it says, anyone who thinks artists shouldn't be paid a living wage should stop watching movies, TV, listening to music, reading books, looking at paintings and photos, and notice how their quality of life will decrease. And Sophie Laguna, there's another message here that says, art is the canary in the room. When art suffers, so does society. It's well, so true. Well, I get tongue-tied trying to explain the importance of art because because there's, well, here I go again, because it's all, it's... I, I, can't, I can't find the words. I can't find the words. It's important for this strike in LA. Yes, it does feel like a long way away, but it is just as important here locally to recognise, to understand what we consume 
as viewers, as people that go to the gallery, as we say, to listen to music, read books, whatever it may be, and so to recognise our impact. Well, I'm wondering, you know, when you say what what impact do we have as consumers, are you saying that we could make choices about what we do and don't yeah. watch? Yeah. Absolutely. With awareness, we need to make those make, make clever choices, don't we? Absolutely. I mean, we can just flick around from streaming service to streaming service now. How many different, you know, from Netflix to binge to whatever it may be that we have on our television, maybe now we'll start to think about what's happening behind it. It doesn't just magically appear there. There are people's lives and working lives mm. behind those services. Mm. In a sense, we all need to be on strike. Sophie Laguna, it's been wonderful having you Thanks, in the Rochelle. studio. Thank you for your insights. There's a lot of love that's coming through for you on the text message. As we Thank said, award-winning author of both adult and children's books too. So my, my daughter loves your books. So thank you. Thanks, Rochelle.